This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about the fate of vaccine mandates, growing concerns about the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services, and more. We'll also get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about schools and COVID, the Illinois State Legislature, and elections. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. After the U.S. Supreme Court ruling Thursday against the Biden administration's vaccine or testing mandate on employers of more than 100 employees, the Illinois Department of Labor's COVID-19 vaccine or testing mandate has been stayed. The U.S. Supreme Court Thursday blocked the Biden administration's vaccine mandate on private sector businesses with more than 100 employees, though it allowed a separate mandate to stand for certain health care workers. The Illinois Department of Labor had issued an emergency rule Friday, the day justices of the nation's highest court heard oral arguments on the case, but that impacted the larger public sector employers in Illinois. Thursday, a spokesperson for IDOL said because Illinois OSHA's rule incorporated the federal standard, Illinois OSHA will similarly stay enforcement on its rule while it monitors federal litigation and determines next steps. As Illinois goes through another surge in COVID-19 cases, state officials are cutting the recommended quarantine time for teachers and students in half. Kevin Bessler files this report. The Illinois State Board of Education said effective immediately, the state will follow the CDC's guidance on shortening isolation and quarantine periods from 10 to 5 days. Tom Hernandez is with the Plainfield School District. In the interest of protecting our students and staff, safety is absolutely our top priority and we believe that uh, the state is giving us the best guidance uh, to achieve that. Barry Riley, superintendent of Bloomington Schools, says his student attendance is down to 70% as the virus spreads around town. What I would say that is that it's uncommon to happen at school. It's not as if it never does, but it's much less likely to happen here than it is out in the community. Riley says a shortened quarantine time should help avoid school shutdowns as teachers return to the classroom sooner. I'm Kevin Bessler. With schools around the state and nation closing because of high COVID-19 case numbers, several congressmen from Illinois are looking to give parents and students a chance at school choice. U.S. Representative Rodney Davis said COVID-19 isn't a threat to most children, but all children are hurt by remote learning. Alongside other Republican congressmen, Davis is hoping to pass the Open Schools Act to give a grant of $10,000 to parents to send their kids to a school that's open. But it'll give kids and parents that grant instead of instead of just being wasted like upwards of 200 billion dollars 
that has been sent to our schools nationwide with the sole purpose of keeping them open. He said he can't stand by while some districts like Chicago Public Schools are bossed around by teachers' unions. We're seeing a push to continue to put our kids in a situation where they're not going to be able to succeed, and I won't stand for it. The union in Chicago came to terms, then got back into the classroom starting Wednesday. That was after a five-day work stoppage, the third work stoppage in three years. While there's been a plateau of new hospitalizations, Illinois' public health director is crossing her fingers and toes that the most recent wave has peaked and could be in decline. Illinois has seen a record number of hospitalizations. Since August, the number of staffed hospital beds has declined by 360. Illinois Department of Public Health Director Dr. Ngaze Azike on Wednesday. We're starting with a lower number of beds uh, because of the decimated uh, workforce capacity. And then we have this unprecedented number of patients uh, that are presenting. And while there's been a plateau of hospital capacity after weeks of an increase, the Zika is holding out on saying that the peak has been reached. Last 24 hours there was a small dip, but the 24 hours before there wasn't. So you really want to see a consistent decline. I will be the first to announce it when we can say that pretty confidently crossing my fingers and toes, but I just don't want to get ahead of ourselves. The Pritzker administration says thousands of additional health care workers from state contracts are available as our teams from the Federal Emergency Management Agency. There are uh, federal teams that are coming on board that are providing assistance in specific hospitals. Uh, we also have multiple contracts uh, to provide uh, nursing staff and other medical staff to help uh, supplant the, the, the loss, the loss of staff. Uh, so again, we're pulling on every lever to try to get as much help in as possible. Hospitals have access to thousands of additional staff through a state-secured contract. Out-of-state health care workers are also being allowed to continue working. The Pritzker administration is also encouraging hospitals to accelerate return-to-work timeframes from COVID-positive staff. Republicans continue the chorus of demanding hearings into the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services. The state child welfare agency has for years been in turmoil facing lawsuits, consent decrees, deaths of children in its care, and other issues. Most recently, DCFS Director Mark Smith was found in contempt of court for allegedly keeping children in psychiatric facilities when they were ready to be with families. The Cook County Public Guardian says that's happened to 350 children in the past year. There's also concerns about the safety of frontline workers. Republicans continue to demand hearings. State Representative Tony McCombie said enough's enough. And Governor Pritzker, wake up and break your silence. This is not a partisan issue. Don't make it one. And every day that we don't get a response is every day as Illinoisans, we should hold the majority party in contempt. The governor's office didn't respond to a request for comment. State Representative Tom Weber said money won't solve it. This is something that can only be addressed by an investigation of the failed policies of DCFS and its leadership. State Representative Stephen Reich said the agency already gets a billion dollars a year and systemic changes are needed. He suggests the agency be a case manager and leave investigations to local officials. That would be my suggestion, uh, but the fact remains is that I'm just one legislator among 118, and this is a discussion that all 118 of us have to have. Reich said while the legislature has a role, it's the governor who needs to get focused on the issue. Democratic State Senator Julie Morrison said they'll hold a hearing with DCFS's director February 3rd. Illinoisans already pay some of the highest gas taxes in the country and in efforts that could be at the state house could allow local cities to tack on even more gas tax. 
The Illinois Municipal League says municipalities should be given more flexibility to impose local motor fuel taxes. State Representative Mike Zaleski has House Bill 4424 to do just that. He said he's not going to push the pedal to the metal. We'll take our time with it and, and we'll determine if it's the it's the right time to proceed or if it has to wait a little while. So, you know, very, very slow going early on for sure. Illinois Fuel and Retail Association President and CEO Josh Sharp said Illinois motorists are taxed enough and higher taxes will burden communities on the border the most. Frankly, I'm, I'm shocked that we're even sitting here in January talking about increased gas taxes in the state of Illinois because we know what they are. There's some of the highest in the Midwest or some of the highest in the nation. Illinois is the second highest behind California, according to the Tax Foundation. Sharp said the measure is not necessary because municipalities already get 15% of the state's motor fuel tax. We really don't think that there's a huge need in the state of Illinois to be sending more money uh, to local government or allowing local government to tax more than they already are because they're already getting such a huge cut of the revenue that's out there. Zaleski understands the criticism and again reiterated he's willing to take time on the proposal. This is not going to be an easy bill to pass and there's no desire to rush it through or um, pass it quickly. It's, it's very much a starting off point to just um, gauge interest and see what the stakeholders have to say. Eight of nine session days for the Illinois legislature so far this year have been canceled as lawmakers don't plan to return to the Capitol next week. Some speculate they won't return until March. In a joint statement from Illinois House Speaker Emanuel Chris Welch and Illinois Senate President Don Harmon, the leader said the rise in COVID-19 cases drove the decision. Acknowledging the ongoing pandemic, State Representative Tim Butler said it's unfortunate we all know what's going on with the pandemic i i you know i understand that but you know it's unfortunate that this is the schedule that the that the democrats uh put together uh the democrats were the ones that that changed the primary date which prompted our schedule to be front-loaded uh and now it looks like you know it, it seems to me that we're probably other than the the session day we were in last week it seems to be going towards we're probably not going to be in session possibly until you know after the month is over maybe into february i've heard rumors of not coming back until march as well lawmakers were scheduled to be in this week but canceled they also canceled two of three scheduled days last week making eight of nine days scheduled this year that have been canceled Lawmakers have various remote committees scheduled throughout next week covering a variety of issues and legislation. The governor stated the state and budget addresses will be on the same day, scheduled February 2nd. It's unclear if that'll be in person or remote, as last year's presentation was. Spring session is set to end April 8th. And voters could expect to get a knock at the door by a politician looking to run for office. Thursday begins the petitioning period for politicians looking to get on the ballot for June 28th's primary election. Matt Dietrich with the Illinois State Board of Elections said Illinois' primary is only for Democrats and Republicans. For a primary, you can only sign for one party. So if you sign a Democratic uh, nominating petition, you cannot then sign a Republican nominating petition. With the recent redistricting, voters should also learn what state house and Senate and U.S. House districts they're in before signing any petition. If you are going to sign that, make sure that you're a registered voter in the district that that candidate is collecting signatures for. The filing period for Republicans and Democrats begins March 7th. Independent and non-established party candidates don't start circulating petitions until April 13th, with a filing period July 5th after the June primary. They have to get three times as many signatures as Republicans and Democrats. You're going directly to the general election ballot. You don't have to go through the primary. So 
the um, uh, the hurdle is that much higher. The midterm election is November 8th. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. For more Illinois stories, go to thecentersquare.com. Coming up, for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Illinois in Focus podcast. Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square, joined by my friend and colleague Dan McCaleb for the Crosstalk segment. This is commentary powered by the Center Square. Danny, what's up? How you doing, Chris? Another week, another uh, a week of cancellations by the Illinois legislature. Chicago public schools are, believe it or not, uh, back holding in-person uh classes at least for some students uh so some things to talk about this week yeah shaking off the uh the the holidays tough for some people the legislature we can talk about that i mean they they did jet in and do something uh last week but they've pretty much been uh absentees again chicago public schools my goodness what a story you know and and you know you and i have the benefit of not living in chicago uh, as uh, do uh, a, a significant number of, of Illinois that, that are often forgotten about. There are more people who don't live in Chicago than do. Um, you wouldn't know that by the way that the policies in Chicago, you know, sort of bleed across the state. But this, the teachers union really strung the parents in the city of Chicago out like nothing I've ever seen before from them. Even like the threatened, you know, threatened strikes. I mean, there was saber rattling, you know, and, and the Chicago public schools have, have, um, you know, have gone on strike. I don't know, umpteen times. I mean, literally, there's like a, you know, I'm sure there's a Wikipedia page for this, you know, that wouldn't be too terrible to, mm-hmm. to track down. But the idea that CPS was held at bay by the, the Chicago public schools was, held at bay by the Chicago's Teachers Union, the way it was over the last uh, couple of weeks, is insane. Decisions being made at 11 o'clock at night. Oh, yeah, we're going back. Oh, no, we're not going. Oh, yeah, we are. I mean, parents essentially were held hostage during the entire of what was supposed to be the first week and into the second week back to schools um, after a two-week you know, holiday break for Christmas and uh, New Year's. Students were supposed to return to school last week Um, at the very last, you know, there had obviously there'd been discussions that it could happen. It couldn't happen, but a decision had not made until the moments before midnight, the day before schools uh, were supposed to reopen uh, last week. Parents, working parents in particular, didn't know until they woke up the next day whether or not they could go to work or not or whether they had to stay home and take care of their kids. Completely outrageous. And then it went on for another week. Finally, school uh, schools reopened on Wednesday of this week. Um, some students were allowed, allowed to go back, but then there was cons- uh, uh, confusion, as there has been for two years. Let's face it, 
There was confusion about who was allowed back, what the quarantine rules were, were if you were vaccinated or you were not vaccinated, um, what the quarantine rules were if you um, had COVID or were just a uh, close contact, quote unquote, with a someone who put, tested positive for uh, for COVID. It was just it was completely um, bungled by starting with the Chicago's teachers union, but the Chicago public schools and Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who are at least pushing to get um, students back in the classroom. Uh, but they had their issues too. But let's face it, it starts with the with the teachers union. Yeah, it's bad business. I mean, it's just, it, it. and I don't know how, if you are a parent of a student in Chicago public schools, how you could not be enraged by by this and 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 how this is how this is played out i mean it's it just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense and, and it doesn't align with anything else that's going on anywhere else in the world right i mean it's we're not shutting things back down again i mean anywhere i mean we're on this is look we are now like on the cusp of what will be the third year of living with COVID in the United States. And we've gone through all the machinations of, you know, you don't need masks, which was the original uh, idea proffered by Dr. Fauci. To, oh, you definitely need masks. Oh, hey, you know what? You get vaccinated. You don't need a mask and, and you could pretty much re-engage with life. Well, hold on a second. Not only do you need to put a mask on, you might need to put a second mask on. I mean, this, the, 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 the merry-go-round of, of public policy around this has opened up pathways for uh, actions like the actions from the Chicago Teachers Union to say, you know, we don't feel safe going back in. Well, what's the data that suggests that they would not be safe in, in being in that environment? And why would that environment be any different from any other environment anywhere else in, in Chicago or in Illinois, in the United States or in the world? Around the globe, we're not shutting schools down. Why are we shutting schools down in Chicago? We've, we already have evidence because we've been doing this for two years and because there was the failed school closures at the very immediate beginning of the pandemic back in March uh, 2020. Um, and then into the fall of 2020 um, in many school districts across the country that um, remote learning and not uh, not allowing students to go into the classroom was was a major failure. The learning loss, the the the, the social and psychological and emotional damage it caused students who were isolated um, at home. Some, unfortunately, not in the best home settings. Um, um, and and here we are, as you mentioned, heading into year three, and we're still doing this. Are you kidding? Yes, we've got evidence already. Uh, of the uh, the major uh, implications this has had on children. If this continues, you know, four or five years, six years down the road, um, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about the devastating impacts this had on uh, on our children's um, lives. Not just from the from the learning loss, but but from the the the, the physical, mental, and other tolls that it's taken on. Uh, uh, the kids have taken on, and how far are they going to be set back when it comes to being productive members of society, getting into the workforce? It's uh, it's 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 sad. It's it, unfortunately it's political, 
Um, this this healthcare situation has turned into just union politics, um, and it it show it goes to show how powerful unions are um, in the state of Illinois. Uh, this essentially was a work stoppage, was a strike. Um, most states across the country don't allow their teachers to make those decisions because of the impact it has on kids, on yeah. our, our our children. Illinois I, is know, one of those states, unfortunately, that allows it. You know, in in a in a shout out to the to the to the teachers that were in the, you know they're in the union and CPS who just said you know what th- this doesn't make sense and we're going to go to work because the schools remained open through this whole process. Some of them, the some buildings. parts of some schools. I mean, the, the buildings remained open. Yeah, the buildings, remained but there open. was no learning uh, going on. No. So if if you were a working parent and you trusted that there was going to be enough staff there, yes, you theoretically could send your child to these mostly empty school buildings. But if I were a parent, I'd certainly have second thoughts about doing it. Well, no, no, no question. But I mean, those who did step up, you know, um, amidst uh, documented uh, stories about, you know, people putting together scab lists, what kind of a cretin would do oh, that? Yeah, and 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 I'm sorry, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to downplay your point. Those teachers who did decide to go to these school buildings, even though classes were canceled, yeah, absolutely, kudos to them. Yeah, because sure. knowing the Chicago Teachers Union um, and the bullies uh, in the leadership uh, of the CTU, they were going to be um, uh, called out and criticized um, for it, and that's outrageous. That's ridiculous. Well, it's nice to see some people with a backbone and, and who, who, you know, exercise their their freedom to go to to go to work. Um, I'm sick of that story. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, just in general, uh, every time we wind up talking about Chicago public schools and the Chicago Teachers Union, you know, my stomach just turns another couple degrees in a in a in a into a knot. Um, what is, Dan, you wrote a story last week. Uh, and we're taping this just, you know, for uh, context, uh, contextual um, touch here on the 13th of January. It's a Thursday uh, and we're in the morning. So um, you'd written a story last week. It's actually January 7th when it published about the parents suing the CTU over the closures and the quote unquote illegal strike. What is there any did anything come of that, really? Uh, nothing. That really, nothing kind of pressure to, to the situation or. Have any net outcome? I can't say that for sure. I kind of doubt it. As far as I know, the pace, the case is still pending, even though Chicago schools are now open. Yep. The lawsuit was filed on behalf of, of, of seven parents of students uh, in Chicago public schools, um, essentially claiming uh, that the work stoppage was an illegal strike um, okay. by the by the teachers union. Um, as far as I know, the case is still pending. I hope it still plays out, even though the teachers have gone back to work um, for the most part, because this this is this is a dangerous precedent, and um, uh, courts need to weigh in on whether what whether or not um, what Chicago teachers did here, essentially holding entire you know, hundreds of thousands of Chicago families hostage um, for this for an entire week after the new year. Um, and we need to get some resolution so this kind of thing doesn't happen again. COVID's with us, and COVID's likely going to be with us, I don't know for how long, but for a while, right? We've got yeah. these vaccinations. The vaccination's been around for a year, but uh, the vaccinations don't stop the spread of COVID-19. If you're vaccinated, um, you can still get COVID. There's 
hundreds of thousands of examples of that. So more likely than not, COVID's going to be with us for a while. And if the Chicago Teachers Union can walk out for a week or two anytime they want, that's that's just not going to cut it. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. hoping that this legal challenge um, gets its day in court um, um, and that the courts rightfully set, decide with the parents that this was an illegal strike and can't happen again. Because right. let's let there, there's no doubt if if there if if the courts don't uh, uh, rule in this case, this is going to happen again, right? It's not like the Chicago Teachers Union is, is going to say, "Oh, okay, the parents in the school district was right; we shouldn't have done this." Um, um, uh, expect further uh, types of work stoppages like this in the future. Yeah, I mean, based on track record, I mean, it, it would be foolish to do anything but to expect you know more of this in the future. I mean, it's just just there's just a you know, a, a long-standing history of holding parents hostage by the CTU. And I mean, the ineffectiveness of, of, of Mayor Lori Lightfoot kind of shines through again. I mean, the relationships that she has, you know, with uh, key people, um, key departments in the city of Chicago. Wow. I mean, you know, Rahm Emanuel really struggled you know, in that job, in particular in the, the second half of his of his tenure as mayor. Uh, but the entire Lightfoot uh, era, which I suspect will be a one and done, has been one bad relationship after the next. I mean, it's not getting it done with the police, not getting it done with the schools. It's a bad relationship with the with you know, with, with the uh, city alderman. I mean, it's just like dysfunction. And meanwhile, you know, Chicago's still kind of not so. I mean, in terms of what's going on there, you know, the, the crime numbers are horrible. Crimes up, um, ta- property taxes are way up. Already high property taxes are way up under her leadership. Um, you've got dysfunction at, at pretty much every level of um, city government. Um, people are leaving the city in droves. I don't go downtown anymore. I'm not sure the last time you were downtown, though. But people have said it's like downtown is almost like a ghost town compared to what it used to be. Yeah. Um, Certainly in the business districts. Yeah. You know. Well, um, hey, you know, it's still in the subject matter of school. Let's get it out of Chicago because, you know, I'd like to just wipe that off of me for a second um, and move over to just school and COVID in general in Illinois. The state has reduced the quarantine time for students who test positive. And of course, you know, of course, like, you know, nobody out there doesn't know this, but Omicron is like all over the place. And uh, uh, if there's any good news in the, in this massive, you know, spread of Omicron is that for the vast majority of people, the symptoms are, are, are pretty, are pretty manageable. I mean, like a, like a bad cold, it's as if, this variant affects people solely above the lungs. So there's not the big heavy, you know, the, the, the breathing problems. And, you know, it's, it, it comes at you like a kind of a cold. I mean, I'm by no means equating it as resolvable, you know, by NyQuil. But if you look at the symptoms on a, on a bottle of NyQuil, very similar to the symptoms that, that, that people are encountering, uh, a lot of people are encountering with Omicron. Uh, and as a consequence of that, there's maybe been a little bit of a rethinking about quarantine times for students and teachers. 
Yeah. This, so the CDC late last year, this going back to December, uh, the U.S. Centers for uh, Disease Control and Prevention, which has been, you know, front and center since the beginning of the uh, pandemic, they they reduced um, their guidance on um, quarantine periods um, for those who have contracted or tested positive for COVID-19 from 10 days to five days. Yep. Uh, the Illinois Department of Health had been, uh, and the uh, Illinois State Board of Education had been slow, did not immediately recognize that change in guidance, but finally this week um, they did. So they're, they're implementing that. However, um, in, particularly in Chicago public schools, I know you wanted to go away from the conversation about Chicago please. public schools, yes, but please. Chicago pu public schools is still maintaining that 10 day quarantine if you're an unvaccinated student. So, you know, they're required. I don't know what that, so what's the difference? If you've got COVID and you've gone through COVID and, you know, you've been vaccinated or you weren't vaccinated and, you know, I mean, it, once you have it, you, you, you have it. Right. And the whole idea of the vaccination is to, to give you just a teeny tiny little bit of this virus so that your body can protect itself from, you know, a larger exposure to the virus, right? I mean, that's the nature right. of a vaccine. And, and and honestly, I don't I don't know that I've seen any Omicron is is fairly recent. It's been around for a little over a month, a month and a half or so. Yeah. Yeah, um, so I don't know. South Africa, so yeah. I don't know that there's any stats on it yet. But um, it's it's pretty much proven that the the vaccines are um, not effective in pre preventing um, uh, uh, contracting Omicron. Now, the vaccines are probably effective in reducing the symptoms of Omicron, but we already know that the symptoms from Omicron are already much less severe than prior variants. Well, and, and for first person on this, I had it. It wasn't very it wasn't brutal at all. It didn't cause me to to change the course of my life in any meaningful way uh, or not. Um, and, you know, our, our school aged daughter, our, you know, our youngest she got it and she got it in, in a way uh, or at a time that fell right between the local decision to, to change the quarantine from 10 days to five days. Mm. And so it's like, you know, I, I look, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it, the, 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 the management, here's the thing. You start changing, you know, the parameters of this in a state that's as slow footed as Illinois is because you have so many different units of government. You cannot expect this kind of stuff, which is important to be managed very well right. because you have too many cooks in the kitchen and, and, uh, and frankly, you have too many kitchens. So, right. you know, it's, it's, it was 10 enough was five enough. I don't know. We split the difference. She went back after seven days. Um, and of course we're going into Martin Luther King weekend. So I think my kid will be in school you know, since the end of Christmas break for two, two days and, or three days or something like that, and then be off for another two really to take it back to the learning loss thing. And how about this? Very interesting. Our school, even with the prevalence of kids getting Omicron and that being something that started, you know, here in the United States in, in December, completely unprepared to deal with kids falling out of being able to go back to school and having a, a, a remote learning option uh, or any kind of at-home uh, education for kids um, who, you know, who are, who are getting the virus and are being asked to quarantine at home.
Right. So, I mean, it's like we've talked a lot about schools today. And school choice week is, isn't that not coming up at some point in this month? It's the last week of January. Yeah. I mean, look, if you are listening to this and you have not had a, a you know a conversation in your home or with your friends about school choice and how Illinois deals with school choice, let everything that you've seen and heard and tested and proved to yourself be part of the conversation that you have going forward about school choice options in Illinois, which is draconian in its approach when compared with what goes on nationally we have no options here in illinois you cannot take a voucher and send your kids to a parochial school you can't really you know move them over to a a magnet or a charter or some other more competitive environment if you're geographically locked into a, an area which the vast majority of illinoisans are your local school is your choice, and that is not a choice. That's a mandate. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts, and it does not work like this in other places. The lack of competition uh, is what has created the monopoly of things such as Chicago public schools and has allowed the Chicago Teachers Union to do kind of whatever they want. I mean, it's like they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, and they're the they're – the, uh, the, uh, the dungeon masters in that entire, in, uh, you know. Uh, if, if, if you haven't been following the conversation nationally, and I, I, I understand if you haven't, you're, everybody's busy or whatever, but particularly since the pandemic, there have been efforts in states and nationally to allow parents to take the education dollars they spend on their students at these public schools um, in Illinois, that's a that's, uh, well over ten thousand dollars, boatload of money. Um, there's been a national conversation, and it's happening in some states. Um, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey is is uh, one that comes front of front of mind. That if schools shut down like Chicago public schools did, that you can take the dollars, the property tax dollars that you spend to send your kid to, in this case, uh, let's just say Chicago Public Schools, and move them to a private school or another school of your choice that is not shut down. As you mentioned, Illinois' school choice options are minute. There is an education scholarship uh, program in Illinois. It's diluted. Um, it's only available to a, to a small number uh, of children, and, and uh, there's a huge waiting list for, for parents who want to want to utilize it. But essentially, it means in Illinois, if you don't make a lot of money, um, if you're in a lower uh, middle class income family, you don't have a choice. You have to run. You have to send your student to the government run school um, down the street or wherever it is in your community, um, regardless uh, whether or not they're open to in-person learning or they're fully remote or in Chicago's case, they take the entire week of the new year off. Right. Yeah, the, I mean, the application of that, you know, the Illinois plan, you know, the, the people who have choices would be, you know, the well-off, you know, uh, and the people who have basically nothing and only a percentage of them. So, and then if you're like a middle-class person and I am really stretching, you know, the idea of middle-class there, because this would be, you know, lower middle-class people all the way up to upper middle-class people, um, you don't have any choices at all. Right. Because you can't afford to pay for it on your own or it doesn't fit into your budget. You know, you, you might not be, you know, destitute or, or bumping along, but 
you know, the, the, the cost of, of private school, while lower in most cases than the cost to educate someone in public school, is additional money that you have to come up with in the form of cash, which you probably do not have, or you would be uh, spending it to send your kids to the kind of school that you really would want to spend them to in the send them to in the first place. So it's a mess. Hey, um, let's get up and out of the school thing. The quarantine uh, deal is a mess. That's uh, you know put a put a bow on that disaster. The fact that you don't have choices, you know, in, for education in Illinois. It's a disaster, not likely to be addressed, uh, either one of those things. Um, and uh, it, the the people who would address them uh, are kind of taking a, a cue from Chicago Teachers Union. I'm speaking of the Illinois legislature, and uh, they're taking uh, next week off. Just not going to be there. Can't can't make it happen. Omicron. <laughs> Canceled all but one session day. Uh uh, last week canceled all session days, in-person session days. You know, this week they're doing some remote, you know, Zoom meeting style committee um, meetings. Uh, canceled, canceled next week. Who knows when they're going to come back to in-person because of fears of the uh, unjustified fears of the Omicron um, variant. And here's here's one hook. I mean, they had a, they scheduled a shortened session this year anyway right uh, normally the illinois and this has been for the, you know more than 10 years that i've covered the illinois legislature 15 plus years covering the illinois legislature normally they work into and through memorial day uh yeah. weekend yeah. they've had a may 31st deadline to pass uh, a budget with a simple majority if they don't uh, get, pass it by then they have to go into june and they need a super majority to pass the budget, but this year they're hoping to get done by April 8th. Um, and here they are canceling all these uh, session days. So my biggest fear about all this is even, and even when the legislature, you know, for the last however many years, even when they were going to up to May 30th, May 31st, or into um, even into June, we didn't, the, the taxpayers didn't learn what was in the budget or many of these last second bills until after they were approved because uh, the Democrats who control the process essentially play hide and seek uh, with this important legislation and don't introduce it until the last second. Now that they're trying to get done by April 8th and they're canceling session days, yeah. the transparency uh, uh, over the budget process and, and other major legislation that may or may not get introduced and, and passed through the legislature, it, it's going to get worse. It, 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 Illinois taxpayers, voters, uh, are, are we're not going to be able to report on a lot of stuff because it's not happening. It's not happening, uh, in at least in public, because they're canceling these session days. So, so uh, what's going on behind the scenes when they cancel all these session days? That's what scares me the most. Yeah, and it would be very, very difficult uh, to be intellectually honest about it to not suggest that this is planned. You know that this is that this isn't just circumstance. Like, ooh, Omicron, scary. Up, oh, can't go to work. I don't think that Illinois has really made a a a, a case nationally for government transparency. In fact, oh. I would I would think that Illinois, if you looked at transparency compared to Illinois to other states, um, Illinois would be near the near the bottom in the way that it does the people's business in in you know in the in the legislature. 
And, um, and, and I mean, that's evidenced by the fact that, you know, at the center square, we cover the other 49 States. Uh, and we report, you know, we're producing somewhere in the neighborhood of 70, 75 stories a day about what's going on in legislatures around the country. And you could read all those, of course, at the center square.com. Um, you know, it, we, we tend to talk here about Illinois, but let's talk about it in the context of how Illinois does business nationally. I mean, our primary this year is the 28th of June. And this is a this is a mid midterm election year. There, there are a lot of, I mean, obviously a lot of seats that are up. Um there's separation that's being created. We have a gubernatorial this year, right? I mean, it's you know, it's we we have a gubernatorial election this year. JB Pritzker, our governor, is running against a pretty broad field of, of Republicans. And the separation that they're trying to create in the legislature politically between what is going to have to get done, which is going to be ugly. It is going to be ugly. They're going to do that ugliness in the dark. They're going to get that ugliness done in April. And then they've got a month and a half plus for all Illinois to forget about how ugly it is before they go into the voting booth in June, at the end of June. I mean, it's June 28th. Yeah. Wait. Wait, and that's that is. Let's face it. That's the reason why they want to get done April eighth. Uh, by April eighth, one to hopefully erase from people's memories, as you said, the ugliness of what happens during the session. But um, two to give, particularly to give the majority party, uh, Democrats, uh, more time and opportunity to go out and uh, uh, campaign, yep. and you know, maybe spread some misinformation. Does that happen during campaigns? No, that doesn't happen during campaigns. Never mind. Never heard, never, never seen it, never heard of it. I'm surprised you'd even bring it up. Uh, my apologies. It's all right. Um, hey, speaking of the uh, the election, Dan, and the primaries, um, the nominating petitions are, are starting, starting to float uh, as of today, as we take this again, it's Thursday. Um. What's the grip on that? Is there anything different this year? Is there anything, you know, I mean, there's some districting issues, right? Or that, that people should be aware of, maybe. Right. The the state legislature, after the, uh, the the decennial census, um, the, and this is not just in Illinois, it's across the country. Uh, every 10 years, the U.S. Census Bureau takes a census count to essentially account for um, either growth or loss in population in both states and uh, individual districts in states. And of course, Illinois has been losing population for years and years and years and did so again, lost a congressional seat uh, this year. So we'll have one fewer representative in the U.S. House of Representatives because of our population loss. And that's mostly due to out migration people, um, many more people leaving Illinois to move to uh, greener pastures in other states than moving in. But anyway, uh, uh, yeah, so there is redistricting that. So, so Illinois state house districts and Illinois congressional districts uh, will be significantly different than what they have been for the past 10 years. So you should learn whether or not your current state uh, representative, uh, your current congressman has been redistricted out of your district. And if you, you, you're going to have new representation. Um, um, but anyway, uh, and the other thing, the other different thing about uh, uh, the election process this year, and this is a little bit wonky, um, mm -hmm. But because the, the Census Bureau was late in reporting its new population data um, um, because of COVID, uh, uh, so Illinois was late in getting its information, just as every other state was. So um, uh, uh, 
uh, candidates have to have to gather so many signatures based on the voter turnout in the pro, uh, the most recent governor election. But the, the legislature decided because there's less time to gather signatures now, they're going to reduce that number by one third. So candidates um, won't have to file or won't have to gather as many signatures to get on the on the primary uh, ballot. And honestly, um, Illinois' signature pro signature process favors incumbents um, anyway. So uh, if you ask me, the threshold for the number of signatures should be much lower than it has been in, uh, in Illinois um, to begin with. So the potential for, for more candidates um, uh, either knocking on your door to try and get your signature or being on the ballot, there is the potential for there to be more candidates there this year. However, that's a good thing because um, generally uh, in Illinois, because the Democrats have controlled the redistricting process for decades, um, they protect their incumbents um, and they create these districts that the majority or the minority party generally doesn't have a, a, an opportunity um, to win. So roughly half, even more than half, some, some election cycles, uh, you have uh, general elections after the primaries where there's no competition, where it's just the incumbent Dem Democrat, for example, right. yeah. on the ballot. And those empty set races are, are kind of a, I mean, they, I mean, they bum me out, you yeah. know, and, and, and so it'd be nice to see fewer of them, you know, and people vying for, you know, for these, for these offices and, and, and just more competition. Um, right. Because competition makes us all better. It's essentially can't. It's in, essentially incumbents picking their voters rather than voters picking their you know their legislators. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it and it should be it should be one of those ways and not the other. Right. Um, Dan, what else is going on in Illinois? Anything interesting? Uh, what else is going on in Illinois? Um, well, well, we didn't touch about very much in terms of the election process. Yeah, uh, we we focus on the legislative races. There is a big, going to be a big race um, for governor this year. Governor Pritzker is going to have a Democrat running against him in the June primaries. There's um, now five, five or six candidates in the Republican primary. I yeah. don't know if you saw this week that radio uh, radio uh, host Mancow. Um, is going to run as an independent in Illinois. I don't know what you think That's about that. Man, Kyle Muller. Yeah. Um, interesting guy. Uh, has a lot of, uh, I mean, uh, you know, from, you know, listening to him over years, a lot of, uh, uh, I would say, it's almost like libertarian ideas. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's... Um, I, as an independent, he, I mean, assuming he goes forward with this, he just announced it this week. He says he's serious about it. Yeah. As an independent, he doesn't have to run in the primary, but he does have to get, gather um, signatures. Right. So if he's serious and he's in it, whoever comes out of the Republican primary, and even though Pritzker, Governor Pritzker has a Democratic challenger, let's face it, he's most likely going to come out of the Democratic primary. It would be interesting to see how a personality um, such as Mancow, Mueller, would have on a general election if it's a three-person race. Would he hurt Pritzker? Would he hurt the Republican candidate? Well, and would he get covered at all? Right. I mean, you know, and, you know, and, and that's the. I mean, that's 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 a question I think that that remains to be seen. I mean, would would you know would in particular would Chicago media be willing to listen to his ideas? Um, what kind of a campaign would uh, would he run? 
you know, man, cow, mall, or what, you know, what, you know, what, how would he go about doing that? Um, How's he going to fundraise? Who's, is he going to have any major right. financial supporters? Now he's got his following in Chicago, right? Because of his, 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 well, his he radio did. show over I mean, the years. He, he did. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's a name, he's a name, name brand. Moving into gut, moving into politics is an, is an interesting move. You know, when you see people in media do that, it's always it's always interesting to see what that what, how that manifests itself. So, I mean, it's, if nothing else, I mean, I think what might make the, the race in Illinois that much more interesting. Um, I would just think that uh, he would savage uh, Governor Pritzker, that he would just savage him if he actually goes into 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 the race. And I think Governor Pritzker would largely ignore uh, ignore him. Um and how the Republicans, you know, how that, you know, what whomever comes through that will be will be, I think, very, very interesting because it's a it's a really interesting mix of of people and personalities, uh, talent, experience as well. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to, you know, to this to this fall, certainly to the election season and into the fall. I'm not looking forward to seeing uh, campaign ads on every TV station and, and across all social media platforms uh, every minute of every day. And I'm already starting to see. I was going to say, haven't you ever started seeing Holy Pritzker moly. ads? Have Holy you? moly. Governor Pritzker is already, I mean, he's already firing. You know, I mean, I guess if you, you know, what what did he bring into it? 30 million? And that's to start with. Yeah. If you remember yeah. when he ran against Rauner, when Governor Rauner, the Republican, was the incumbent, Governor Pritzker put, I mean, he, of course, he's a billionaire. His family uh, owned the Hyatt uh, hotel chain. Um, so he's got all kinds gobs of his own money. And when he ran against Pritzker, he put tens of millions of dollars uh, into that. He's already put tens of, even though he's the incumbent now, he's already put tens of millions of dollars into his current campaign. And he's only likely to add to that, particularly if he feels um, there's going to be a significant challenger Probably not from Mankow, but coming out of the re, whoever comes out of the Republican um, primary, because right. while none of those candidates are billionaires, um, many of them do have money. And there's a uh, 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 you know billionaire uh, uh, hedge fund owner Ken Griffin, who's been a supporter of Republican candidates. Who knows? But he could um, put some money behind the Republican candidate. And if that happens, you know Pritzker is going to put tens of millions of dollars of his own fortune, more tens of millions of dollars more of his own fortune into the campaign. So um, if you're someone who does not like uh, every other commercial uh, on your local TV station being uh, a campaign ad, well. Um, you might as well uh, unplug for a couple of months, at least when we get uh, get past uh, Labor Day. Yeah, boy, howdy. Uh, all right, Dan. Well, hey, always great to catch up with you. Thanks for the insights and the information about what's going on in Illinois. Uh, like I said, always a pleasure. Enjoy it as always. Talk to you all next week. For Dan McHale, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Illinois in Focus podcast. Now we're to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week, the team from the Center Square will track the latest with the ongoing litigation over school vaccine and masking mandates on teachers and mask and exclusion policies on students, plus review some of the measures state lawmakers are considering during remote hearings and more. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.